Hey, everybody. I just wanted to let everybody know that, of course, what you guys are going to see is the pre-recorded message Lee and I did, not message, podcast that we did back in September of this year. But you're going to notice that um, as I'm going through housekeeping, the donate button says donate via PayPal. Don't pay any attention to that. That's old. You guys all know it's been updated. Um, but I want you guys to know we get through one of the six points only today, which means that Lee and I have our work cut out for us. We have to do the next five, and I love ministering alongside Brother Lee Brainerd. He is amazing. God has truly gifted him, and I pray that you guys would enjoy the podcast as much as I did sitting down and learning next to Lee. So may the Lord bless you guys. Remember, always keep looking up. See ya. All right, uh, everybody, this is part two. We, uh, Lee, when was the last time we did this? I don't even remember when the it last was time. a, uh, I think it was pushing three months back. We've just had both of us have had a tremendous string of obstacles in between us getting together again. Yeah, yeah, a lot. And God is good. I'm so thankful for the fact that uh, we're able to do this. You're able to do this. I'm, I'm able to, and um, we're in for a treat. So we were talking off record that this is going to be part two and we're going to be doing a part three because there's no way we can get through all of this, right? That's right. Yeah, we're not going to be able to. So folks, again, before we move on, before we get started and get cracking on this, let's do some housekeeping as usual. I'm going to turn my mic here. Actually, I'm going to turn this up just a bit. Oh, so much better. Way better. Okay. So let's go over here. You know what? First of all, let me see if I even set this up. See, all you guys are seeing right now is a black square, and I should have done this ahead of time, but sorry, folks. Okay, this is just the way it's going to have to be. All right, this is the Serpents and Doves website, always linked below. Um, if you guys like the content, I know you probably get tired of saying this, but I can't emphasize enough, and I know Lee would agree, and I'm going to get to that, how much... Uh, your gifts help to um, keep these going, to help us just uh, keep ministering and keep all of the costs going, rightly. That's uh, right. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into this. So we are so grateful for what you guys do. So if you feel led by the Lord to support the ministry here, um, there's two ways of doing it. You can go to the Serpents and Doves website, there's a donate button right there on the top right-hand side. It's highlighted white. You can do that there via PayPal. Or if you want to support the ministry by shopping, um, there are some goods there. I, sh I should say that I ordered um, restock of the Merino wool beanies, and I'm getting some new beanies put in. They are um, really, I'm not going to say, Let's just say I ordered some new ones and I'll announce those when they're up on the store. So those are two ways you could support the ministry of serpents and doves. Most importantly, prayer, prayer, prayer. That is it huge. Is. I can't tell you enough. Lee and I both really, really would appreciate your prayers. Um, one little thing I want to always mention, go down here at the footer. It's kind of cut off, but there is a featured artist down there. I put that all the time. I usually change it pretty often. I try to um, showcase good Christian music. And uh, okay, here we go. The important one. This is yours. I'm not going to talk about your website, Lee. So take it away. Tell us a bit about it. Well, Soothkeep is the old English word for truth fortress. Sooth is truth, like a soothsayer. And keep is a is a fortress or a dungeon, depending upon whether you're keeping people out or keeping people in. Um, <laughs> the vision of my ministry is really to bring the people of God to higher ground in their doctrine, their practice, and their discernment. Uh, my great exercise is we need to have a return to the authority of Scripture and make the exposition and interpretation of Scripture the preeminent feature of our ministry and one, um, one of my fears is that in our prophetic ministry, we've moved in a direction where we end up having vastly more speculation uh, than we have 
solid biblical exposition. And this is going to end up being problematic, I think, in many ways, if this trend continues. I agree. Um, Lee, so um, how can they subscribe to your newsletter if they want to? I'll walk them through right now. So if you tell me what If you go back to my homepage. Yep, let's do that. Okay. Okay, there we are. Now scroll down till you find there's there'll be 12 little boxes of different ministry varieties. There we go. Right okay. there. It, they can click on any box and then click on any article they want to read. And to the right side of that article, there will be a subscription widget. So you can just randomly click on an article. There we go. I clicked on one. And there it is. Yep. Right there on the right hand side. So folks, please, I highly recommend to subscribe to Lee's newsletter. Big time. If you could do that, if you um, don't remember, again, just kind of follow the steps. Go back. Yep. And and um, I also have a YouTube channel, which is also called Soothkeep. Let me go back there so I could show folks. So if we go back to your website, I'm going to click on the home right here. On the top left-hand side, there's three icons. I think this one's Instagram, though. So yep. tell you what, um, I don't think your you, – is your YouTube linked uh, on your website? You know, it – probably is only indirectly linked Okay. on, on some of my, um, under the prophecy heading, I should, that's a good idea. I need to get a link there for my YouTube channel. That's really, that's not a good thing to not have that. That's that's one of the problems I face when I am a one man band, I have to do absolutely everything. I do all (laughs) my social media. I do all my video shooting and editing Yep. I do all my article writing. I don't have any ghost writers. I don't have any ghost researchers. It's it's a hundred percent my own effort. No, I get you. I'm a one man band too, so I I, I totally <clears throat> understand, folks. It is a massive labor of love. There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes, and I would imagine you also have to maintain your website. So- oh, I do, I do, and so I put in. This is this is no joke. Sixteen to seventeen hour days. Yeah. Seven days a week yep. in the work of the Lord. Yeah, I agree 100%. So the other thing that I wanted to do is take folks back there. If Again, if you feel led to support either ministry, please do so. Lee has a donate button right there. It's right next to the contact on the right-hand side of the menu bar. And if you click on that, you could also donate right there to Lee's ministry as well. And I think, can I say this real quickly? If you also... Uh, other ways they could do that is by going to your books tab and you have some fabulous books here um, Yes, and you could support the ministry of Lee by purchasing the book. Now, folks, this is the book that we're talking about. The one here called Apostasia, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. I would highly recommend you guys get this book and read it. Um, Let me see if I click learn more there. Here it is. I'm going to link to it, all right, so that everybody has it. I'm writing it down right now, link to book. Um, But I really recommend that you guys get this because it is chock full of stellar information. We're going to be covering some of it today. We covered some of it on the first podcast. I think what we ended up doing was uh, we went to, we just briefly, just topically covered it, really. The, the yeah, we're, it was a very quick survey of, of yeah, a lot yeah. of the a lot of the subjects, and we delved a bit into side issues that are connected to it. Yeah, so that is the housekeeping, and I always want to put that up front. Some folks don't make it all the way to the end, so I will cover this information once again at the tail end of the podcast. But just so everybody knows how thankful we are for your prayers, first and foremost. Power of prayer is huge. So for everybody praying for our ministries, we cannot thank you enough. We're really thankful for the Lord to put all of you guys there um, that that get down on your knees and really intercede for the ministry. Thank you so very, very much. Um, So now we can just dive right on in. Lee, what do you say we get started? Amen, bro. Cool. Let's do this. So the apostasia debate is something... That is, in my estimation, my opinion, it's not going to go away. What do you say? Uh, no, I agree. And what's interesting about this debate, you can look at it from one angle and say, well, who cares whether that in that particular verse 
uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, whether apostasia is the rapture of the church or whether it's uh, the classic understanding of apostasy. Sure. It's not going to change our overall doctrine. It's not going to change our overall uh, approach to, to Bible prophecy. And I'll say, yeah, okay, I can give you that point. It, it's definitely not worth bludgeoning each other to death over. However, I do want to make this observation, and that is this is a classic example of proof text theology and in, in using a small uh, selective pile of evidence when we should be using the whole testimony of the Word of God and we should be using all the available evidence. Yep, yep, I agree 100%. Um, so with that said, I say we dive in. Let me cover, again, let me just kind of enumerate what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be going over three of the six, but the six of them are, we have the meaning argument, we have the translation argument, the theological argument, we've got the grammatical argument, the exegetical argument, and the contextual argument. That's right. right. Okay, yes. so of those six arguments today in this podcast, we're going to cover the first three. So the first one is the meaning argument. And, and even just if we were to only take the meaning argument just itself, there is so much um, there is so much to the meaning argument that really dispels the 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 rapture argument saying that, well, it doesn't mean a falling away. It means a physical departure just based on the meaning argument itself. So this is coming from those that believe that it's the rapture, that in reference to the rapture, this is the argument they post. Apostasia does not mean falling away or apostasy. It means departure. Apostasia can mean either abstract departure, such as departure from the faith, or physical or spatial departure, such as departure from earth to heaven. And the first place I want us to go into, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, is the misuse, because they use the Liddell and Scott lexicon, but they misuse it. Let's right. talk about that. So take it away, Lee. Well, if you go to the Little and Scott lexicon, which is the Rolls-Royce lexicon in many ways for classical Greek, and you're going to find under the heading for apostasia, the second entry says departure, disappearance, and then you read these mystical words, Olymp, period, in meta, period, 320.2. Mm -hmm. Well, People look at this entry and they say, look at this. See, it means physical departure, uh, physical disappearance. Um, and, and they quote this as proof that apostasia in Koine Greek can be used for the physical departure of human beings from point A to point B, like right. from earth to heaven in the rapture. Right. Well, here's the whole problem. Um, when you let, I'm going to actually translate this from the abbreviations into English. And it's the title of this work is actually Olympiodorus in Aristotle's commentary on meteors. It's a scientific work. Now, what's yeah. interesting about this is not only is this a scientific work and not a work that's going to involve the physical departure of a human being from point A to point B, like a history or a story. This is a scientific work and the context is what happens when you apply uh, heat to a mixture of solid and liquid, and the liquid will evaporate and depart from that solid. Yeah. It's, yeah. So it's a scientific text. Now, here's the second problem. This text is from the 6th century, and it was in the 6th century that we find the first use of apostasia in any kind of a departure sense, and we find it for evaporation. So, yeah. Now, absolutely. what's it? So, you can't really take this use and say that this gives us light to prove that apostasy in the New Testament can mean physical departure of a human being from point A to point B because it's at least four centuries too late to be regarded as giving us light on the meaning of the New Testament. And it's in a scientific context and not a context involving human beings. Yeah. And on top of that, they're looking at the second entry in the Little and Scott. 
If you go look at the first entry, why are they blind to the first entry? Why do they exclude it and not bring it out? Yeah. That first entry says defection, revolt in a legal sense, rebellion, apostasy. So you've got defection, revolt, rebellion, and apostasy. And so you've got revolt in a legal sense, apostasy in a religious sense, and then they actually quote 2 Thessalonians 2.3, or cite 2 Thessalonians 2.3 for the religious apostasy. So my question is, where is the integrity here? Where is the integrity? Why would you selectively use the second entry in Liddell and Scott, ignore the first entry, And why would you not actually go and investigate the original resources to find out how it was actually used? Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Um, One thing that I was curious about, though, is um, I know in your book you talk a bit about now under the meaning argument. I don't know if we, we can go here or if this is more really the theological argument. Are we talking about the Paul Feinberg study? Is that more the theological argument or the the meaning argument? Well, that's really coming on the meaning argument okay. because he did some he didn't do a research as broad and deep as I did mm-hmm. in in the Koine and early classical literature, right. but he actually went pretty broadly and he was looking at both the use of apostasis which which is a cognate noun to apostasia and he looked at hundreds of references to both of them and he didn't find a single instance in early class or late classical or or early koine of um apostasia or apostasis used in the sense of physical or spatial departure right absolutely see here you wrote in the book you said but in all these instances apostasis was not used a single time of general departure, i.e. the physical or spatial departure of an in, of an individual from one location to another. It was never used once for undertaking a jaunt, trip, journey, expedition, walk, hike, or any such thing. It was never used once. Um, yeah, it was never once used of going to the market or the temple or the capital or the battlefield or a nearby city or a neighboring land or anything similar. So just based off of the the meaning argument, um, I'm not sure why, just on that itself, it seems like we're we're trying really hard to fit, <laughs> I use this oftentimes, a you know square peg in a round hole or vice versa, you know. Um, That's exactly right. When people go on a doctrinal agenda war path, mm-hmm. They will selectively use evidence. They will disregard yeah. half or three quarters or 95% of the evidence. And you, you'll you have a hard time dealing with them in a debate because they won't listen to evidence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, talk talk a bit about, uh, and, and this is maybe something to clear up, the reflexive, reflexive connotations of apostasia. Okay. In apostasia, you have, uh, when whether it's used of people rebelling in a political context like sedition, yep. or whether you have people uh, apostatizing in a spiritual or religious situation, this is a person acting upon himself, and he's the one doing the departing. And, and this is, of course, a figurative departing. Now, right. in the rapture, you don't have a departure. It's a snatching. Yes. There is no active departure. This is not a reflexive departure where, where the human being is doing the action on his own self. We're not walking away from earth. Yeah, that's right. We're not rapturing. We are snatched. Yeah. This, that, that's a passive transaction. It's not an active or a or a reflexive transaction. So um, here again, you have a grammatical argument on how apostasia is used, which forbids the rapture interpretation. So so do you, do you think that uh, if we use it as the rapture, right, and we look at the reflexive connotations, it's not us taking ourselves out, because trust me, if we had the ability to get out of this place, 
We would have done it already. We would have done it already. But God has us here for a reason, for a specific amount of time. Only he knows when that is. But um, the one thing that, uh, another thing that we don't really uh, take into consideration, especially when we're talking about this, are the negative connotations. That's exactly right. So why don't you cover some of the negative connotations? And Because I, I really think that's important for us to understand what those really mean and how that relates if we use it in regards to a rapture view. Yep. All right. So what we have is between the first time that a, the word apostasy appeared in Greek literature, which is around 250 BC, yep. in yep. the Sand Reckoner, which was written by Archimedes, up until 500 AD, because I, I examined 750 years worth of literature, I found 283 uses or instances in the extant literature for uh, apostasia. 90% of these instances were uh, um, religious departure, that is apostasy. Mm -hmm. We had uh, another handful that were political departure or rebellion or sedition. Sure. Then there was a tiny handful that were uh, that would be used in a medical sense, they were um, like a boil is really what it is, a boil or a, a big pus pocket. Mm -hmm. And this is also, also all three of these are negative connotations. Yeah. A few times it was used in a negative, uh, another negative sense when, when it was used instead of apostasion, which is the typical word for divorce, they used apostasia. That's negative. So all of these instances are negative uses. You won't find a positive use of apostasy until you get into the early fifth century. Yeah. And, and I think it's really, if we're really going to um, cover this, right, uh, I, I really think it's important for us to look at every small aspect of this. One thing that really stood out to me, and I'm I'm really being honest, was as soon as I read the argument for just the meaning itself, yes, um, I thought to myself, how do, how is it that that we even move further? So one out of six, just one out of six arguments, if you can just go, okay, check, just based on the meaning itself, if the meaning of the use is wrong, then that would make me believe that the entire argument can come, come crumbling down, right? A absolutely. If it's impossible for apostasia to have the meaning of physical or spatial departure in Koine Greek times, then all the other arguments are just, well, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. That's all yeah. it is. Yeah, that's um and and I know that I might I might repeat myself often because I want us to understand that even uh when it comes to logic, I might have mentioned this before. Um they they we used to have debate teams in high school and in junior high, some of them did. I don't know if we do anymore, to be really yep. honest with you. Um, but the cool thing about those those kind of clubs was that they made you use logic, right? Yes. Right? And uh, Paul used logic all throughout. I mean, it was used all throughout the Roman Empire. And Paul used logic in his writings as well, right? It's of grace, yeah, right. grace and it's not of works. Um, so it's really basic. And I know there's three rules of logic, right? Rule number one, what a thing is, it is. That's, that's like, whoa, right? Mind-blowing, what a thing is, it is. Uh, this right here that I'm using is a microphone. Therefore, that's right. It is a microphone. Rule number two of, of logic is what a thing is not, it is not. So this is not a, uh, a let me see, what do I have in here? This is not a book. This right yes. here is not a book. Therefore, it is not a book. Are you guys trucking with me? Okay, yes. this is really, this is really basic. So we have rule number one, what a thing is, it is. Rule number two, what a thing is not, it is not. Rule number three is called the rule of the excluded middle, which is what a thing is, it cannot be what it is not at the same time. I know that sounds a little bit confusing, but 
This yep. is a microphone. It cannot be a book while it is a microphone at the same time. And so those are rules of basic logic that we have. And I remember hearing Pastor David Hawking talk about this years and years ago, how we've lost the ability to use logic, especially when it comes to things of Scripture, when it comes to things of the Bible. And so I think that as we go through this, part two, part three, even if you listen to part one, it's really important for us to apply logic as we go through these arguments and really uh, ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand what His Word really means. So, Amen. Um, I think one thing you mentioned in the book, which I thought was fabulous, and um, I think it's important for us to understand, let me go back to you and I, let me get there, is the fact that the use for apostasia as a physical departure didn't come about for how many hundreds of years after it was written in 2 Thessalonians 2.3? About 500 years. That's huge. Yes, yes. So, so to, just, just briefly, if you wouldn't mind, talk about the importance of that. Because if a word didn't exist, right? And I think about one of the viewers asked me a question about the burning of the weapons and um, how is it that they saw um, Ezekiel says bows and javelins when in the Gog-Magog war, they're going to be using tanks and missiles and everything, right? And so I answered and I said very much like in the book of Revelation with John, as he's seeing these futuristic battles, there are no words to describe a jet. There are no words to describe, you know, a, a machine gun or uh, a missile, um, tanks, you name it, modern warfare. Th we They did not have those kinds of words back then, and they did the best that they could in trying to describe what they saw in the future. But the word didn't exist. In this case, the usage of the word wasn't there, meaning a physical or spatial departure. That's huge. That's right. It? See, because um, you can have an advancement on a meaning of a word. So, for instance, missile originally in Greek was used of stones that were thrown from a catapult. Sure. And sure. arrows that were launched from a bow and arrow or a javelin that was thrown by hand. Fast forward to the future. We have things that are still missiles. It's not a non-missile, but we have missile technology. And so we've got new ways to launch missiles. Yeah, yeah. So it's important for us to really keep that in the back of our minds that the word apostasia, as in reference to a physical departure, didn't come into play for hundreds of years. Now, let me play the devil's advocate here and yep. say, if there's somebody on the flip side of that, Somebody might say, well, how do you know that? How do you know that it wasn't used for hundreds of years But after that? How do you know that the word itself wasn't used as a physical departure then? How is it that you know? Well, we just know by the general principles of literature uh, that when you examine uh, the use of any word, whether we're looking at the use of a word in French or German or English literature or Greek literature, that from the, the, usually the words appear for the first time in some form of art. They don't usually appear uh, for the first time in just random everyday street conversation. Right. So they appear in, in a stage, they appear in a movie. Uh, some brilliant person invents a new word. They're often writers for, the, for a magazine or for a well-known newspaper. And then these new words or phrases take off. Yeah. We have a similar thing that a similar thing happening now where social media uh giants who are well known often sometimes coin new words or a new use for a word. Well, yeah. this is what this is what we have here uh in Greek. If I go and examine 750 years of all the known extant literature from, from classical Greek and Koine Greek. And I did this on um, the TLG website, which is Thesaurus Linguae Greci, or the Thesaurus of the Greek language. 
and it's a nearly exhaustive depositorium of everything from classical Greek and Koine Greek and into the early Byzantine Greek all the way up to the 10th or 11th century. Yeah. And I do a word search on apostasia, and I find out that the first instance was that's in the, the literature is 250 BC, and I follow this all the way up to 500 AD for, for what I'm going to use for the information for the, the core of the book. And then I continue looking, and I don't find until the 6th and 7th centuries is when I find the first instances that are a physical departure right. or something that's remotely resembles that. We know just by the way language works that if we find the first reference in extant literature in the 7th century for a physical departure, then that's probably within 50 years of the first time it was used. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, again, as, as Lee is talking about this, I know that a lot of this information, I had to reread some of this stuff over and over just because that's the way my mind works. I read it and I go, wait, what? And I reread it again until it really settles in and sinks in. And even though uh, Lee has spent an exorbitant amount of time researching this, the information in here is is written in a way that it's easy for us to understand, though we need to reread it just because that way, for me at least, it helps stick in my mind what exactly it is, you know, that not only we're talking about here, but how it is that you went about, Lee, to um, really show that the word apostasia is not in reference to a physical departure, but more a falling away. And with that falling away, there's a connotation that we can latch on to of rebellion, right? Because really, that's right. It's it's rebelling against the Lord. But let's let's talk about it real quick. You you talk about the the first book of Maccabees, right? Because we're we're trying to to get to the part where um, the instance is in when it's used as rebellion, right? Yes. Um. So talk to us about the book of Maccabees, if you don't mind, as it details the Jewish victory. And I want to get into the influence of the Septuagint on the Jewish Yes, okay. The apostasia was still a relatively rare word by the time that we come to the, uh, it's being written in First Thessalonians, or Second Thessalonians 2, 3. It only had a handful of times that it was used prior to that, and some of these references were in Jewish literature. One of them was in 1 Maccabees, where it's used uh, of the apostasy that happened at the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. Yes, And it's used of, of the abomination of desolations typology that happened at that time with the defilement of the temple, the slaying of a hog in the temple, yep. with the putting up of a statue in the temple. And then the, the nation of Israel was given the op op opportunity. You can either worship the false god in the temple, or you can be executed. And the, some of the Jews apostatized. They, they conformed to this demand, and some didn't. And so right here, the one of the earliest uses of apostasia, and, and one of the very first times apostasia was used in a religious connection, it's used in Jewish writings of... Uh, Atticus Epiphanes, who's a type of the Antichrist, yeah. and his apostasy is a type of the Antichrist apostasy. Yeah. Um, what you, you mentioned, Everett Harrison, here. Let me, is it okay if I read, uh, if I quote? Yeah, go ahead and read that passage. Yep. I think this is great. Everett Harrison says regarding the influence of the Septuagint on the New Testament, though, here he says, a reader of the New Testament who approaches it by way of familiarity with the Old Testament is likely to recognize a certain similarity of structure and idiom, but he will not think of it as strange because his mind has been conditioned by the reading of the Old Testament. But if one were to come to the reading of the Greek New Testament without this background, having only in, I like the word he uses here, an acquaintance with classical Greek, let us say he would be impressed with certain features that would strike him as peculiar. In other words, he would discover that the New Testament, although written in a language to which he is accustomed, possesses constructions and meanings of words for which his knowledge of classical Greek 
provides him no preparation. These are especially marked in the quotations, but also characterize the composition of the various books to a greater or lesser degree. This is what's absolutely. Cool. Let me finish really quick. It says the technical term for these features in Semitism, a term broad enough to include both Hebraism and Armaism, Arme if I didn't say that right, forgive me. The general subject of Semitism can be explored to good advantage. And he gives G.H. Moulton grammar of New Testament. Talk about that a bit. That's all I said a lot, but I'm going to yeah. I'm going to let you dissect that. OK, basically, to boil this down in a little simpler form, a large percentage of the theological terminology, the salvation terminology and the prophetic terminology in the New Testament does not come from classical Greek. It comes from the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures. Sure. Yep. And and these people not only did the writers of the New Testament quote much of their Old Testament quotations from the Septuagint, but they thought in the language of the Septuagint and wrote to a large degree in the language of the Septuagint, so that you'll have grammatical structures in the New Testament that are very common in the Septuagint language, but they're not really common in classical Greek. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one thing before we kind of move on, as you were talking, I wanted, and I thought about this before, is why don't you just clear up right now the difference between Koine Greek and classical Greek? All right, yes. Uh, classical Greek is essentially the Greek from 350 BC and earlier. And Koine Greek is the Greek from about 350 BC to maybe four or 500 AD. And okay. after that, you go into Byzantine Greek. Okay, so the word apostasia was yes. in Koine Greek. That's right. Okay. So it's and so a lot of people, they make the mistake, they, they find it apostasia listed in, in the Little and Scott lexicon, and so they'll make the claim, well, apostasia is a classical Greek word. Well, I'm sorry, it's not. Apostasis yeah. is classical Greek. And apostasia, when it originally appeared, was just a variant form of apostasia. But by the time we get to the New Testament era, it had come into a life of its own. It had yeah. its own meaning. It had an emphasis on religious apostasy that apostasis never had. Okay, so and I'm glad you said that because I was just going to ask you apostasis, which is the classical Greek term, versus yeah. apostasia, which is the Koine Greek. Um, some might argue or say, well, don't those both mean the same thing, just in two different styles of the Greek, right? So, what would you say to that? Well. A person can probably frame an argument like that if they please, but we can frame any argument we please. I mean, yeah. and, and men do it all the time. The only determination for the meaning of a word is you can't get the meaning of a word from its cognates. You can't get the meaning of a word um, from how it's used in your town or your neighborhood. Sure. You, you get the meaning of a word from how it's been used for the previous hundred years. That's, that's where the meaning comes from. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and you have to get the meaning in the context of which you're looking. And so usage is the only way that you can determine meaning. Yeah. And what, this is what I find is fascinating. When, when people assert that apostasia can mean physical or spatial departure, and therefore it can be used of the rapture. Yeah. Let me tell you what they don't do, and let me tell you what they do do. Sure. First of all, they never, they never have, and they never will bring forth instances where apostasia, the same word, apostasia, was used for physical or spatial departure. There, there, it does not exist in Koine or, or Classical Greek. No, people can spend months searching. They will never find one. And they will never forward this as proof. So the only thing that they prove, that they forward for proof, that apostasia can mean uh, physical or spatial departure, they have to use obscure arguments on other Greek words that are related, but it's not the same word. 
and they take up the Greek verb aphistemi, which does mean physical departure, and claim that apostasia is just the noun of the Greek verb aphistemi. And yeah. folks, this is simply not the case. I don't know whether to chalk this up to someone that doesn't know as much Greek as they thought they know, or if it's a willingness to um, just exclude every evidence or, or piece of evidence that would overthrow their position. So I don't really know whether there there's ignorance here or dishonesty, but it, it's not a good thing. Yeah. Because uh, there is a whole family of terms in Greek, the apostasis family, which has a bunch of nouns, apostasis and apostasia. It has the noun apostasion, which is uh, divorce. It has apostates, which is apostate. This whole family has its own adjectives and its own nouns, and it has its own verbs. Yeah. Absolutely. And the verbs are apostateo, which is to apostatize, and apostasiazo, which is to cause to apostatize. So the noun, the, the noun apostasia is the noun of the verb ap apostateo. Yeah. And it's, it's, they're related. All this family of terms is related to the to the Greek verb aphistemi, and they're derived from it. But the semantic footprint of the apostasis family is a very small circumscribed family, which has a limited range of meaning, which is vastly smaller than the semantic footprint or the semantic range of the Greek verb aphistemi, mm -hmm. and it's just incorrect. It's flat out incorrect to claim that apostasia is the noun form of aphistemi. So um, let me read something from the book because I think before I move on and look, uh, I don't know if we're even going to have time to get into all three of these. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's okay. I'm totally okay with it. If we do, you know, three or four part series on this. I'm absolutely 100% okay with it because I don't want to rush through this. So, amen. Um, you say right here, if we can't nail down the meaning of the noun apostasia by pointing to the definition departure in Liddell and Scott or invoking the theory that it has the same semantic range as the verb aphistemi, just kind of like what you were talking about right now, then how shall we discern its meaning? Simple, by examining its usage in the centuries before Paul penned 2 Thessalonians. Again, we covered That's that. That's exactly right. We covered that a bit, Okay. But here's what I find, and this is where I want to latch on to this. We talked about, remember this, keep this in the back of your mind, the Maccabean revolt, okay? While yep. these instances were not many, they all point to one semantic channel, that of rebellion. That's right. right. So it's important to know, tell us, actually, you know what? I'm not going to say it. Tell us what the importance is of making sure that we note that. Well, the, the importance is, of course, the principle is, the only way to derive the meaning of a word is how it's actually used in the preceding period of time. You can't just wave a magic wand and invent a meaning that doesn't exist. And so if we go and look at how it was used in the literature prior to the penning of the New Testament, there's only a handful of uses, and they're very illuminating. We already mentioned the one that's in 1 Maccabees, about the rebellion in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. Everybody that's got a little bit of time under their belt as a Bible prophecy student knows that Antiochus Epiphanes is a typology yep. of the Antichrist. Yep. But it, this same word apostasia also appears in another piece of Jewish literature that's well known in prophecy circles, and that's the Book of Jubilees. Yes. And in the Book of Jubilees, it was used for the apostasy under Nimrod, who is the origin of the mystery of iniquity, and he's also a type of the Antichrist. Yes. So no person who's got the Jewish background, who's reading the New Testament, can it would be impossible for them to read 2 Thessalonians and read about the apostasia that's in association with, the, excuse me, the man of sin, It'd be impossible for them not to have their mind immediately make a connection with Antiochus Epiphanes 
and that apostasy and with Nimrod and his apostasy. And they're going to go, Oh man. Yeah. The apostasy in the future is going to be like the apostasy in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes under the Roman empire. And it's going to go all the way back. And it's going to be like the apostasy in the day of Nimrod, because this mystery of iniquity has been working from Nimrod all the way through church history. I mean, all the way through the history of the world, through Babylon, through Medo-Persia, through Greeks, through the Romans, all the way through the church age, because now the Roman Catholic Church is part of this mystery of Babylon, this horror Babylon thing. And it's going to come to a head in the last days. And apostasia that Paul's writing about is going to be the same kind of apostasy that we saw in the earlier usages in Maccabees with Antiochus Epiphanes, and in the book of Jubilees with Nimrod. Yeah, absolutely. So we see we see a thread, right? This common thread, a common theme kind of going throughout, you know, the whole history really of the usage. Um another uh possible usage could be maybe political sedition. I'm not sure. Yes, it was used that way and that was much rarer. It was maybe only 10% of 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 the time Okay. Nine or 10% of the time was that usage. But, but let's say even, even in those very small instances where it yes. was used as political sedition, that's still a quote-unquote falling away, a departure it of, is. Of, an, of a political uh, ideology or, uh, you know, it's somebody that's rebelling. Against- it's very closely related to religious yeah. apostasy. So, um you know, it's important, again, as we're talking through this, to really think about this logically as we're laying this all out. Not really me, but as Brother Lee is laying this all out, it's really, really important that you really start thinking about this in terms of the usage in its entirety, in its history. That's right. Before it was, what? how was it used prior to its being penned by Paul? So, um Really quick, I don't know if I don't remember if we and I think we did the the accusation of unrelated context. Did we talk talk about that when it comes to um, or not? I don't know if we did or not. Okay, but let's cover it briefly. Yeah, this is really it's not a helpful argument at all. It's not even fair um, because if it's looking at unrelated context to get the meaning of apostasia from first Maccabees and Antiochus Epiphanes and from the book of Jubilees with its use in reference to the apostasy in Nimrod. Mm -hmm. How come it's not looking appealing to unrelated context to take the definition from the little and Scott lexicon? This is hypocrisy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I like if one of them is unrelated context, they're both unrelated context. Absolutely. Again, we got, if if we're going to use it here, you got to use it here. Right. What a thing it is. What a thing is not. It is not. What a thing is. It cannot be what it is not at the same time. One more thing that I would like to bring up on on meaning. And I I think we're probably going to be wrapping up meaning then. Yeah. Unless you got something else you want to bring up. No, no, no. But um, the early fathers regularly used the verb ekpipto, which is literally falling away and apostasia as synonyms. For instance, Cyril of Alexandria, in his commentary on the 12 prophets, wrote on Hosea 6-7, like Adam, they slipped into apostasy, completely falling away from the one able to bless them. So apostasy and falling away were used as synonyms. Yeah. And, yeah. and then in Eusebius, in his commentary on Psalms 18-17, wrote, lest after my sin I fall away into absolute apostasy. Yeah, and and that's what I said in the very beginning. As you, um, whoever actually buys the book, and again, I recommend you get it. As you read through this stuff, mine's you know, mine's almost one gigantic highlight. Uh, I think I've gone through no joke, probably like two highlighters already. You're gonna see that even just based on one of the six arguments, you can go, whoa, th- this is, seems like a house of cards, right? It it is. I you think take, it is. Yeah, you take one out the whole house just comes crumbling down. And I do want to encourage people. The book looks pretty big and it looks pretty intimidating, but the main body of the book is around a hundred pages. So yeah. all six arguments are summed up in a hundred 
pages, relatively easy to read, but I have well over 200 pages mm -hmm. of appendices where I have all 283 uses of apostasia in the original Greek with an English translation and with technical notes. Yeah. Nobody has to go reinvent the wheel. If no. you really care about how apostasia is used in Koine Greek, you can spend two hours, go through the appendices, and you can get soak in all what took me many, many months of research. Yeah, yeah look, this right here is the front end of the book, 100 pages, right? The art, the, the layout, what yeah. research you did. Well, your book. This right here are all the appendices and all the research. So you could see the difference right there. This right here is the main body, right? What we're talking about. This is yep. all the research, folks, all of that. So trust me when I tell you, very well researched, very well researched. And I'm glad we have men like Lee who take the time, are blessed by God, um, who taught themselves. You taught yourself Greek, didn't you? Yep. When I was a babe in the Lord, I was reading an article in a, in a religious magazine about a Baptist preacher in England whose name was Christmas Evans. He's the one-eyed Baptist preacher from Anglesey. And I discovered that he taught himself while riding horseback Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. And I thought, what in the world? Why would anyone learn Greek, Hebrew, and Latin? Yeah. I did a little research. We didn't have the internet back then. And discovered that the Greek New Testament was read that well the the new testament was yeah. originally written in greek yeah and that the old testament was originally written in hebrew except for a um a portion in daniel and a couple loose verses in ezra and Ara nehemiah that aramaic yep yeah and uh then the earliest translations were latin and syriac and so i i went and i taught myself greek i i have what i would regard as expertise in greek i have competence in hebrew I can use the Latin, and if I need to in a pinch, I can. I know enough Syriac that I can look stuff up in, in the Syriac Peshitta. That's huge. That's huge. Um, and I'll be honest, that is a gift from the Lord, really is. So you know your stuff, and you could tell as you guys read, not just this book, not yeah, not just with this book, but all of your books. I also have one on the pre-wrath rapture, and that's something we're going to have to definitely talk about because that seems to be uh, something that's surfaced in the last few years and is it's growing this notion. Oh, it's become a monster. Yeah. And now yeah. I am actually in the process of doing uh, a revised and expanded and updated version of the pre-wrath rapture uh, answered. And in fact, I just got my cover today. I'll have to send you an, an email with yeah. the picture yeah. of the new cover. It's pretty yeah, awesome. Um, let me throw a monkey wrench in all of this. If you guys thought you guys heard all of it years, a few years back, there was uh, another theory that came out called the partial rapture theory. And oh, yes. The partial rapture theory really essentially boils down to the fact that spirit filled believers will be taken up in the rapture while carnal believers are left to go through the seven years of tribulation. That one is really the way I see it, like a Protestant purgatory. <laughs> oh man, it, it is. And bro, we need to do a podcast on that someday. Yeah, we do. We Absolutely really do. have to. I'm telling you folks, there is so much to talk about. And that's why it's so important. First of all, you've got to be in Christ because without the Holy Spirit, you won't be able to discern right from left, up from down at all. And then it's important for us as the body of Christ, as believers, to, to get, first of all, into the Word of God. I've recommended this book tons, okay? I'm going to recommend it again because I've had people ask me. Um, it's right back here. You can't, you can't see it. Let me grab it real quick. Probably going to make a mess. This is called The Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. Amen. I if you don't have it in your library, you need to buy a copy. You need to get this. And all it is... It is the Bible, interpreting the Bible, cross-reference of every single chapter and every single verse of the Bible. 
So it's important as a Bible study tool to have that. Now, I'm not down on reading other books, but even when you read books, you've got to be exercise discernment what books you're reading and what they're about. Okay. That's right. So I know I kind of rabbit trailed a bit. Totally fine. I own it and I love it. And that's just me. Let me fit. Let me close this with something that actually you closed with. So let me read it for everybody. It says, suppose a man owned a dog. This is an illustration. Suppose a man owned a dog that he believed was a bulldog. He invited the experts to examine his dog, fully convinced that they would ratify his opinion. But when they compared his dog to the known traits of bulldogs, well, they were forced to sheepishly inform him that his dog was not a bulldog, but rather some kind of poodle mix. Now, imagine that this man insisted that his dog was a bulldog, even though it failed the bulldog test and berated those who denied his dog bulldog status, claiming they were incompetent judges who were guilty of examining unrelated dogs rather than his dog. Would this not be unfair? Yet this is precisely what is happening with the charge of unrelated context. I thought that was so <laughs> good. I am a visual learner. And when I read the end of that, I'm all click, 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 click. Totally. I agree 100%. You know? Yep. Um, so let's close the meaning argument now. And I honestly don't know how much I'm looking at the time right now. I think we got what? Maybe another half hour, maybe. Uh, what time is it? Uh, not even that. Maybe 20 minutes. So let's see, let's see what we could get through. Because the next I think we probably have time to go through the translation argument. argument. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. Because um yeah, I definitely don't want to rush it. And who knows, we might have translation argument part A. But yes, uh, we'll see what we get through. Sorry, folks, don't worry. We'll get to all the arguments, but we spent a good amount of time. We gave you a lot to think about on the meaning argument. I really hope you guys were encouraged, blessed, challenged. Um, Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Um, before we go, hold on real quick, because I said I was going to do this. Let me go back to the uh, housekeeping for those faithful ones that made it all the way to the end. All right, let me go over here. Uh, again, if you guys really like the content, if you enjoy it, if you if you feel led to support, you can do that on the Serpents and Doves site right there. Donate via PayPal, or if you want to wear some really cool stuff, do it there as well. Um, and then Lee's website, soothkeep.info. Again, fabulous resource. Folks, go there. Highly encourage you as well. If you feel led to donate to Lee's ministry, I know it would help a ton right there. You can donate right next to the contact button or go to his books tab and support him via those books. Homework for everybody. Get the book, study it so that you guys can follow along with us. This is going to be probably a three or four part series, if not five. We might take yeah. one podcast on each one. We're just going to take it as it comes rightly. Yeah. And one closing thought from yeah. my perspective. Yeah. We mentioned earlier, and I want you to understand this, that the real importance that's underneath this whole issue on the interpretation of 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and the Greek word apostasia, it's really how you're going to handle data, yes. whether you're going to handle how you handle the data in the Bible and how you handle the data outside the Bible. And I like to tell people, we need to be sola scriptura, which, and you guys know that means the Bible alone. Yeah. Is, is our rule of faith and practice, and we want the whole testimony. But I also like to tell people that we also want to have sola facta et omnium, omnia facta. In other words, only the facts and all the facts. Yep. And we need to have that in our research. Amen. And so really the underlying message here is way more important than the message itself because the underlying message is be serious students really make a serious effort to understand the word of God. And if you take up an issue like the meaning of this Greek word here, or the meaning of a Greek word, another passage, do broad and deep and really get a handle on the subject before you make conclusions. 
I because agree. jumping to conclusions not only costs you on that issue, it will cost you on a bunch of issues in the future that touch on that one. Yeah, I totally agree. It's almost like a straight line, right? Eventually, yep. if you deviate even just an infinitesimal amount at the very, very beginning of that line, when you get farther out, you are so off base. So, yeah, that's how you get lost in the woods. Yeah, that's true. That's totally how you get lost in the woods. Thank you so much again for being on. Loved it. Uh, Pablo, it's always a pleasure to fellowship with you, brother. Love it. So God bless you guys until the next time. Keep looking up. All right. See ya.